again, as players, you see him sign for three years. So I think your sort of natural thing as well, like I wouldn't mind staying for three years. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I think even then I, I made him aware that this is going to sort of end badly for both of us. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sitting here and getting abuse, getting all these messages. I'm, I'm going to save my peace. The lads, it was funny, like they come in and said like, oh, like didn't expect to see you here. Like, oh, <laughs> what are you, like some of them were like, yeah, you, you're mad. My Lord, who was with them, like 100%, I never wanted to leave at any point. Oh, I won't get the stats out. Yeah. Hi, I'm James Constable, and you're listening to the James Constable podcast, powered by Get Radio. I love the emphasis on yeah. powered there. I felt right. I think that's the best one, yeah. That is the best one, yeah. Um, hello, and welcome to episode number four of the James Constable podcast. I think we've all been looking forward to this one in very different ways. We are going unpack two for the price of one in terms of seasons. We're going to rattle through Oxford being back in the Football League for the first time and also moving into what was quite a second year in the Football League as well, mentioning a town not too far away from Oxford called Swindon. But that will all come. We have to go in sort of chronological order. So look, let's start at the back end of the last season where we've been promoted. We're back into league football for the first time in a long time. What is your feelings going into the new season. Very different to the previous season where everyone was excited to get back. We spent half the summer intoxicated and just enjoying that. So <laughs> actually getting back, like we were enjoying the break, enjoying the open top buses, the parties that came with that. So obviously that was good. But now, like I say, we're back in. We got pre-season organised. We, we knew we had some good games coming up. And obviously back in the Football League, it was different. The fixtures coming out. We were looking at games. We were like, <laughs> it was like more, obviously the fixtures came out in the conference and it didn't have that same feeling of yeah. who we've got, like, Christmas who we got New Year like the big games that were coming so obviously for us it was it was nice to see bigger games like obviously get back into it and, and look forward to another sort of campaign that we believed we should be there or thereabouts as well. Do you look forward to playing a team that are better than you? Do you think we're the underdogs we've got a chance? I'm trying to sort of use my five-a-side experience and you're going to go oh they're a lot better than us we're going to get beaten and oh look we have I'm going to be ill that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I think obviously the one was Stevenage was they'd come up automatically we had come up through the playoffs but that was one that I know me personally I was looking forward to playing them because I felt like we'd give them a sort of a good season but things we'd read and things we'd saw about how they said that they believed they were the better side and obviously the record of the league showed they probably were but I thought we were we were the better side in that season so that was one and then like say the cup competitions things that you'd been sort of missing out on because you weren't a league club mm. and it opened up a new chance to go and, and pit ourselves against the big clubs which I say as a player no matter what league you look at the FA Cup the teams lower down they can't wait to play these bigger teams so for us we were that club now that could come and give the sort of big guys a run for their money. First season, as Chris laid out his ambitions straight away, now you get into League Two, is it realistic or is it just do your best, let's try and survive, let's push for top six? I think safety and trying to stay in the division and things, that was never thought about. I don't think it was like a case of our let's try and survive. I think it was top six and above, look wow. at promotion, look at sort of getting in the playoffs. I think playoffs were probably like the minimum we should be achieving with the squad we had and like say the way that the club had come from to that point and the confidence that had given everybody, I think that was that was our aim was to break into that playoff positions and, and try and achieve at least that. Are you still chinning two flat Red Bulls at this stage or is that, is that going I think out the window? I think been knocked on the head. <laughs> okay. I think Jordan sort of <laughs> made his way out and obviously on to, to different things and like say that that slightly changed. Okay. So like the Red Bulls went and I think it was more wine gums and I think in the league you get supplied electrolyte drinks yep. and, and stuff. So the Red Bulls were gone and the club was saving probably a fortune on having to buy flat disappointed. Flat, <laughs> flat drinks. Yeah. So um, from a personal point of view, you're starting a new season, club captain. I guess this season is all about clarity. James, you're the captain of Oxford United in League Two. How does that make you feel? Oh, amazing. I think back to the previous year, it was like Muzz had issues with 
his back and he'd missed games. It was never decided, but every time he would either not start or he would come off, I would just see, like, obviously the captain's armband on my peg or it was never really discussed. It just happened. Is like, that how, is literally that how you I, found I'd out? I'd come in on a match day and obviously, like, if Muzz had pulled out or pulled out in training, like, we wouldn't know as such until we'd go in on a Saturday and there's my shirt and the, the captain's armband. It wasn't sort of a thing. And then, obviously, midway through that season, it was obviously Muzz is struggling a bit more. If he is to obviously not be able to continue this season, you'll be captain. And, and, and that's sort of the way it, it went. So I think Jake then would have been sort of deputy, but it wasn't, again, it was nothing that was ever sort of set out. It wasn't yeah. obviously, and then and sort of later on in that season, Muzz obviously, unfortunately, got the injury. So I think coming into that new season, that was for me, I, I knew I was obviously going to be captain. I was hoping that nothing was going to change during the summer, but <laughs> obviously to get in and, and see that, it does bring that added sort of bit of enjoyment, excitement, like leading the team out back in the football league with, with the armband is, is obviously was obviously amazing to do at Wembley, but in the league is, is fantastic as well. I mean, like I say, I, I always love being captain and I've spoke to, to different people about sort of my captaincy and how I did it. And I say I'm probably different to most. I led sort of by example in terms of play and maybe not so much in terms of sort of managing the change room. We had, say, so many big characters in there. Mm. You didn't need to sort of maybe manage those as much. It was you more, knew your place yeah, type thing. Yeah, my, mine was more probably like leading by example out there, like say doing everything I can for the team and, and hoping sort of the lads behind me are backing me up and following from my sort of example. So they're not, not so much probably with the yellow cards and the, and the, <laughs> and the tackling, but the yeah. actual commitment. And, <laughs> oh, and I that, won't get the stats out. Yeah. yeah, leave them, leave them. Well, I'm we'll, sure it would have been very similar in, in League Two as it was into in the conference. Well, we will get to that. Uh, we're going <laughs> to dive into sort of the, the captaincy side of, yeah. uh, of your role. Uh, in a future episode, so make sure you, you, you tune in for that. So back in the football league, and things start well. Kick off uh, the new season with back-to-back wins in September. So that man Ted, I'm looking for a nod of approval and agreement, uh, and you get your first of the season. I will just add, it's five games in. Five games. Yeah. Riches made it sound really glamorous, but <laughs> it's five games in before yeah. you get the first win. Five clean sheets out of six games, so that's yeah. a bit better. But not just one goal, but a hat trick, and it's your first one that actually counts because Chester from the year before, as we said last episode expunged from the records yeah to come back in and, and obviously score I think for me it was obviously tough leaving Warsaw tough leaving Shrewsbury like obviously Warsaw were in league one at the time but then got relegated to league two so I felt like I could do it at that level but I needed to get in there and I needed to do it physically and show that I can do it like I say in myself I had belief that I could do it but until you're sort of put in that situation and given that opportunity then it's over to me and, and like I say the rest of the guys to prove that we're good enough to be at that level and we should be at that level yeah no it's a good job we've got that man Ted here isn't it yeah. otherwise we'd be an absolute disaster <laughs> but it's um, it felt like the club was becoming a lot more stable in, in the Football League. The results started to go. We had a, a decent September. And also, Chris puts pen to paper for a new deal as well. Was kind of the sky the limit for him? I think so. Like I say, for, for us as players, it was a positive thing. Like I say, that outside of the club, everything was stabilising. We still, even at this point, probably had no clue that the sort of issues they'd had with money and like now that obviously we're back in the Football League. As I say, as a player, you don't tend to think about that too much. It's only sort of later down the line you hear things and, and that changes that. But as players, to see that happening was a big sign that actually the club are looking to kick on. And, and obviously with this guy in charge, like we've got every chance to be a part of that and, and kick on with him. Because I say even at that stage in, in League Two, you could feel he wouldn't be at League Two level forever. He's obviously still learning, still young, but he had sort of all the tools really to, to go on and manage at, at the top levels as it showed with his career. People speak of, you know, harmony in the dressing room. And I guess that has to be facilitated through the manager and having that stability. Does it relax you? Does it make you feel better? What What's the sort of atmosphere? with everyone when that sort of happens again as players you see him sign for three years so I think your sort of natural thing as well like I wouldn't mind staying for three years and I think that's probably a little bit more of you've seen the manager stay in so if you've got 
like I say, a relatively good relationship with the manager. You're thinking, well, if he's going to be sticking around, like there's every chance that he likes you and, and you might be sticking around. But yeah, I think for the group, it definitely stabilised everyone to think, well, you're not going to have changed. I've been, like I say, with other clubs where they've changed manager and it's sort of derailed seasons. And when managers leave, it can have a, a big impact on the playing sort of staff. They, t- they take people with them. So obviously the fact he was staying and, and we knew that made a big difference. When Chris signed that three-year deal, you're club captain. Are you kind of going, okay, well, I'm in it for the long haul here as well? Mm. Yeah, I think I think 100% member sort of having a number of conversations with Chris when there was ever talk of contracts I'd sign as, as long as they wanted to keep me I was I was desperate to stay around and, and obviously be part of it obviously I knew that the club weren't going to stay hopefully at that level for, for log I felt the ambition of the club Kelvin obviously people you'd see around Jim Rosenthal Timmy Mallet like people that you didn't see at many clubs that were yeah. stood in the, in the stands cheering the team on they're, they're big personalities they're big people and they've been around long enough to remember the club at the, at the very top level so it wasn't going to be long before they were back challenging for for the sort of top leagues well you mentioned as well being back in league football afforded you um cup competitions as well which which is such a silly thing that you completely didn't think of when you no. said that you just automatically go oh yeah you you know league two sides get you know automatically into it yeah. but you know you go through qualifying and goodness knows what else for sort of lower leagues statman ted let's uh let's go through a couple of uh the kind of big games and big results in the return to the League Cup. Second game of the season, having drawn 0-0 in the first one, you have League One Bristol Rovers come to the Kassam, 6-1 win. Yeah. <laughs> it must have just been mental. I just don't think anyone expected it. I think oh, there was obviously a different sort of excitement. The first game, obviously, 0-0, no goals. Like, it was a little bit maybe coming away flat. We wanted to get off to a good start. Obviously, Rovers rocked up. And so I think we were thinking back then, if it's a draw, you get a replay and yeah. things like that. So yeah. we were thinking, look, at least if we get a draw, like minimum. Get back to our place. Get back, yeah, yeah. Get, get another game. But I don't think anyone envisaged that was sort of going to come around but, but yeah, that we played like that. Crazy. That's the least attended game of the whole season. Mm. Only 5,008 people turned up for it. Do you think they just thought you were going to get better? Well, <laughs> it's, it's one of those I think when the season started the way it did and obviously things like that it might sort of think well we look forward to the next league game or whatever but you say like the lowest attack, it didn't feel like that obviously it helped we were whatever up in the first sort of half an hour but it didn't feel like it was a sort of half empty stadium the atmosphere was crazy on that night and like I say some of the goals we scored were decent goals as well well stark contrast to that the second round you get going away to West Ham your supporters who didn't turn up for that first one certainly <laughs> yeah. turned up for that we nearly got the same I think going away but yeah I think to go bowling ground and like an Upton Park and what that meant for as like say a fan growing up and seeing the bubbles before kickoff mm. the atmosphere coming down the tunnel onto the pitch it's it was... crazy conference premier yeah however many two months before to then turning up at a premier league ground and mm. giving them a really good run, run for their money it's Scott Parker mm. took him to the 92nd minute mm. to get a winner in that game you must have really felt like to have gone from the lows of Gateshead away mm. to suddenly their packed stadium cloud nine would be yeah. an understatement I think Wembley helped I think like we were sort of fresh in, in our memory of that so like I say going to West Ham and, and sort of feeling the, the sort of wrath of their fans desperate to, to get a result but we did alright on the night like when I sort of look back and see it it was I think I dread to think if they had the stats with possession and things like that I, I, I felt like we, were camped, we were camped in our own half for lots of that game don't get them Teddy don't get them <laughs> like I said I had a shot and we, we, we had a couple of shots I think on the night like to, to sort of get out of our half but we, we did so well to sort of defend and, and sort of stick in there as long as we did and then obviously someone with that sort of quality pops up and, and puts it in the back of the net is, is tough. Well, I'm intrigued because you're playing League Two to play against Premier League players, someone like Scott Parker who's captain England. Yeah. Is there a bit of wow factor in that? Yeah, I think like, obviously being captain, we're in the, with the referees before the game and like say we're, we're sort of just stood there just looking like me and Chris like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? Like, But obviously then sort of come out and Scott was great and we had a chat and I said, look, obviously a Tottenham fan, like love your shirt after the game and 
obviously little do I know. And that's me thinking you're going to say I'm going to leave you we'll leave one on you but there we go no fair enough. I know that was obviously going to be the person that sort of ended the sort of cut heartbreak for us and and knock us out but obviously fantastic to like say get his shirt that night and ease the disappointment a little bit that I've got that at home as a reminder of like say the game and the experience because it it was an experience to go there and and obviously now it not being there is sort of that added nostalgia that we we were sort of one of the the last sort of clubs to uh, to go there. There were sort of one or two sort of highlights and and sort of things we picked out from from the first season back in the league it was not the highs of of the top six consolidation consolidation that's a much better word than yeah. that thank you that man said you you cemented your place in the league we get to the end of the first season what's your thoughts it was definitely a season of finding our feet getting to a position of, of knowing like say the clubs that we were going to be up against disappointing like goal scoring didn't get as many as i would have liked and obviously for the team not getting where we would have liked to have got to but i think early on in that first season i'd sort of found that my my contract was different like obviously we've been promoted so i was expecting a little bit more in my wage packet which I'd, I'd found that wasn't there so um again during that season I had things that were sort of out of my control but they could that couldn't be changed that so I had to just stick with the money that I'd been on the previous year due to contract problems and things and then it would be rectified at the end of the year so it shouldn't make a difference but it's like say you'd, you'd achieve something you'd sort of like look forward to that little bit extra or whatever you'd, you'd add in your contract but again it was a I think like an error at the club or some where they exchanged contracts from conference contracts to football league there'd been a mistake or but they, it couldn't be rectified so I think it was a sort of strange season with that going on and like say having to figure well, out how that gets rectified and dare I say to compare that to sort of you know people listening the situations yeah. and stuff I, you know we've all been in jobs and if you're expected to get something a little yeah. bit extra and mm-hmm. you don't it irks you a little yeah. bit yeah well it did like say for me I knew it's like say I think if it was if you were on loan or someone that had been at the club very short amount of time I think it could have caused mm. a fair bit of issue but I think say for me I was I was sort of happy with the resolution we come to and sort of like a bonus at the end of the year but yeah it was just strange to sort of go through that excitement of getting back in the football league and all that brings and then like, obviously a little bit of a sort of issue that <laughs> admin got, error you, you've got, yeah, <laughs> comes up in the football league try and sort out but yeah. again I think because I knew that the sort of situation and the club and, and everything like that I was happy to just get on with it and, and not sort of cause too much of a, of a deal about it but it, like I say it was just a shame that it happened and, and like I say it was something that, that couldn't be sort of done until, until the end of the year we certainly uh, justified whatever noughts or anything we're missing from the <laughs> <laughs> from, from, nice. from, from the contract yeah. but but Stan Mantez got the end of season facts and figures, which, to be honest, was a pretty good year for you. I know you said you would have wanted to score more yeah. goals, but third year on the trot, club's top scorer, mm-hmm. 17 goals in League Two, the highest tally you ever got at that level, yeah. and also supporters player of the year as well. Mm. So still accolades to be had, despite maybe consolidation and three years on the trot you must really be feeling like I'm a big name here like you were really part of something part of the Oxford family as it were yeah 100% and I think as a forward I always set 20 that was my go-to amount they would always ask you and you'd be like no I've not set any targets but I think 20 was a number I'd obviously say 26 and 29 and like these goals were sort of rattling in at the conference level and I was thinking like I want to go and show the same amount in there so obviously like say 17 was for the for the whole season was was okay but I'd have liked to have got 20 and like say really showed that, that at that level I can, I can score goals and like say having been sort of the previous two seasons chasing it out with the, the top scorer <laughs> looking on a Saturday <laughs> did he score did I score and, and sort of having that race to then like say being lesser sort of in terms of goals and, and not having that same sort of feeling like you wanted to compete with someone and, and try and win like say another sort of golden boot or whatever and chase those guys down was, was was a shame that I couldn't do it. Given your foul output though, I must say I'm a bit surprised <laughs> it took to your third season to get your first red yeah. card. I, 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 always, I always sort of, obviously difficult straight reds, but I think yellow, once I 
I got plenty of yellows. I think I managed to sort of control it enough to stay <laughs> just the side of the line that I, that I would stay on the pitch. But obviously, yeah. Well, it did, uh, the red card was a second <laughs> yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Was that crew? Yeah. Yeah. But I think I made a tackle. So that was that was where it started. When I try to make a slide tackle, that's when, that's, that's yeah, when it gets That's when the cards come out. Good. Oh, dear. Let's move on to, to kind of the summer. Rumours circulating, transfers, potentials. The summer brings, it feels like, unwanted attention and turmoil in terms of maybe distractions about the coming season ahead. As a player, when you're linked with clubs or people are coming in it's like a little bit of a nice sort of feeling you're like oh I must they must have seen something they must have liked but I think for me I, I was sort of happy where I was I was settled like say we got the first season out of the way we had obviously talk of sort of players coming in and like really sort of kicking on again and and that was no different in the pre-season that was the aim is going to be like we've, we've had our season now we know what it's about we know what it's going to take to to be successful in this league and that and that was going to be the case of knuckling down and, and going one better than that and like say with little bits added quality we've made and changes and I think we changed sort of training grounds that summer and we we were then wanting to kick on and like I say really give it a go that year well yeah I mean you must have felt a lot of buzz I mean the, the teams that are sort of down here with your you know Lutons and Yeovils and Bristol sniffing around like you said that that you know you're doing something right to be put yourself in the shop window but just describe the Bournemouth deadline day fiasco pretty sure I, I trained that day and obviously like I say did like deadline day so we sort of finished training and Chris had said look they've they've made an offer and if you want to sort of go and speak to them and they were third or fourth bottom in league one so again it's one of those clubs you don't sort of turn down Eddie Howard I think recently departed and gone up to Burnley and, and it felt a lesser opportunity because mm. he was obviously mm. a big name and had done whatever he had done there so it was uh it was a straight one to like say go down there and, and speak to them and sort of try and figure out whether it was going to be something or not that I, I would sort of consider so I took dad and we went and met Steve Fletcher and, and Lee Bradbury and they were sort of caretaker charge but they still make decisions and sign players so uh, we pulled in I remember sort of seeing the chairman Eddie Mitchell at the time and they had greeted me the managers and said look chairman this is James and he was like okay Hi. And it was like straight away an instant. <laughs> All that buzz has just yeah, it evaporated. The balloon had just popped really. It was like not not great that the chairman didn't seem overly sort of interested. So we sort of went through, looked at the stadium, looked at change rooms and things. And I just remember thinking like this isn't a step up in terms of class. I felt obviously Oxford Stadium was bigger. The facilities looked better at Oxford. So it was we, we'd sort of sat down and we'd sort of spoke about they already had a pre sort of contract ready to what, what they were going to offer. And yeah, again, it was, it was more than what I was on at Oxford and but I remember just sort of speaking to them and they were trying to include things for bonuses cut bonuses promotion all these type of things but we, we left and like say we, we said like we'd have to think about it and get back to them and I like say we, we drove back home and, and we sort of said like you know what like for me it's not right and Laura's mum and dad my, my wife lived in Wimborne which was 15 minutes from Bournemouth Football Club so right. obviously they then found out I think Laura was thinking oh she might be able to move back home and see her family and off the pitch it sort of worked it fitted yeah. but actually like say on the pitch and, and for me it, it didn't really sit right and obviously Laura's been together 12 years and she's followed that sort of journey with me along the way but mm. she was keen for me to do what was right for me not just because she could live at home and yeah, have yeah. her mum and dad nearby so yeah we, we we came back and I, I remember getting a call about 10 o'clock at night that night from from Bournemouth saying look we've spoke to the FA we can hold the deadline like if you can come back down we've, we can increase the money and I was like it's not it's not about the money it's not signing because you haven't offered enough I said it's, it's more footballing reason where I am at the moment and enjoying that and obviously didn't say to them but position they were in the league and, and we were top of league two and it just didn't it didn't make sense I, I just had a feeling that I'd go there we'd get relegated <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, really pass each other on the way yeah the yeah so again it was it was definitely sort of football reasons as to why but obviously since then I've sort of looked back at that
at that period and there's there was lots of talk about wage demands on my behalf and 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 that's why sort of deal mm. didn't come off and i say at the time i probably didn't sort of realize what they were sort of saying almost it, it made it sound like that like i was demanding, holding out for more holding out for more money when 1 million percent it was my decision not to sign there so i don't understand if they'd offered me all that money why i didn't sign so your family you know you've got yeah. there's so much there's so much to think about yeah we literally reducing. just got two dogs and, and like little <laughs> things like that shouldn't but, we, but it's like, on your well, mind. What do we do about yeah. the dogs? What do we... So... But it's, it's life. Yeah, you, it you're is. Having to manage life around your career, like yeah. anyone would. Yeah, and, and and like little things that, like say, probably shouldn't come up, they started coming up and we were like, obviously back then we didn't have kids, so that wasn't a factor. But actually, like say, we, we'd sort of come away and it was like, even the talk of, like say, I think I was playing Call of Duty with a few <laughs> other lads. It was like, the call came back and they were like, right. So I was like, having to stop the game, like say say bye to the lads, I've got to deal with this. And I just um, find it mad that you said 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Uh, this, obviously, this is transfer deadline day went through till midnight you used to stay up or you used to wake up in the morning and go right, who we got who we got yeah. so 10 o'clock at night they're still trying to tempt you or or discussions being had between parties yeah That's... and i think again like now you look at it they probably had certain targets that weren't coming off and like things got moved around so like at three o'clock four o'clock when we left bournemouth the first time the deal was dead and they probably then moved on to the next targets and then for whatever reason that didn't happen <laughs> and then the phone goes and they're, they're trying to get you back in so you sort of realize i think after that that actually it's sort of a merry-go-round of final day stuff but in the end like i say i think they even increased the money even though we weren't asking for more money it got increased and again it i let them know like, thanks for the we, we appreciate it we obviously great to chat to them but for me and the family and everything it wasn't going to be a move that was going to be sort of coming off whether it was 10 11 whatever it wasn't going to happen back at oxford united for this season uh, there's two rather big games mm. oxford swindon it, the rivalry goes back yeah this fixture holds even more for you potentially yeah i think like i say we're growing up we were sort of in an area a little village 10 15 miles from swindon so we would have, always have the like swindon guys come in and do like say the soccer schools mm. and i was signed up on near enough every soccer school that was going <laughs> yeah. at that age it was what I, I loved so i spent every summer with the guys Ivor gum who was one of the guys at the time and he used to run it and i think sort of had affiliations with them and it was always branded Swindon Town like say we'd mm. always have like ex-players come back or hand out awards and, and things like that and then obviously going forward I sort of played at Sirencester and we had a friendly which Swindon Town I think were involved and wanted to have a look at some of our players and I think tried to make sort of like almost like a link between the clubs and then yeah going forward to Chippenham Steve White who's a, an ex sort of Swindon player had sort of signed me really and, and, and even sort of to this day it gave me that that opportunity that I, I was playing in Sirencester reserves and not really going anywhere and then like say he gave me that that sort of first opportunity to play sort of men's football properly but give mm. me the opportunity to really sort of go and do what I wanted to do so uh, being an ex-Swindon player at the time didn't really cause too much of an issue didn't really think too much of it but <laughs> obviously as time goes on and, and you join a club that's sort of their biggest rivals in and, and live on the outskirts of Swindon from yeah. the time that I was at Oxford it, it made it yeah a little bit more sort of an issue that they were interested in and wanted to sign me. How does that play out in your mind? Is it a confusion? You know, when that fixture list comes out and you see, you know, Swindon drop down, are you like, right, this is where I show them? Yeah, I think as well, when I first signed my sort of first professional deal at Warsaw, they were one of the clubs that were sort of chasing my signature then. And it always felt like they were there just to make sure they didn't miss out. Like they were like, oh, if, if so-and-so offers you a contract, make sure you let us know because we'll match it. And not that they genuinely wanted to go and say, like, we think you're good, like we want to sign yeah. you. It was how would this look if there's a player that grew up and lived near the club and, and did all this? 
and then we let him slip and he goes and signs for a club 100 miles away. So It's, it's that difference between, you said, at Walsall, feeling really wanted mm. and supported by <laughs> Paul Mercer yeah. versus, okay, you're here because you're local. Yeah, and, and it was literally like, I think Ify Nora was a manager at the time at Swindon and he was constantly sort of on the on the phone and like, how did it go at Walsall? I was like, yeah, it went really well, I really enjoyed it. And obviously they knew I was then going to Bristol City and then Swansea and then obviously Swindon was going to be sort of last, but they were constantly wanting to check what I was doing and whether how I was getting on more than saying like Warsaw just said look there you go there's a contract we want you then obviously when we signed and come out they were like look thank god you didn't ask for like a penny more because we would have mm. been ripped up they weren't interested in messing around or they wanted to offer me a contract there they wanted me to be there but they weren't going to be asked for stupid amounts and I think that's the other thing people just imagine you go in and be like right on a piece of paper this is how much I want <laughs> yeah. and a lot of the time you get there and they pre, pre-determined wow. what especially where my dad was my agent. We didn't have someone designated to sit in offices and, and work out what players are worth and what they want. This was very personal, like me and dad, like, right, we go there, we see what they're offering and we'll make that decision in the heat of the moment. And, and like I say, it's, I think a lot of people just think you turn up or people call the club ahead and say, look, he wants 50 grand a week and he's not coming for a penny less. But it, it's a lot of the time that wasn't the case. It was just you turned up and they had the contract there and, and you sort of discussed it as such yeah, and, yeah. and that was it. But they never gave me that sort of feeling throughout any of the sort of negotiations with obviously Warsaw and the Bristol cities they were all cards on the table we like you this is what we want to do this is what we want you to be part of and then it was like oh make sure you let us know if you get something we'd like to match it so it was never going to be a, a case that that was going to ever come off even at that stage but then obviously as mm. time went on and I moved to the club that <laughs> their biggest rivals it was certainly off the table then yeah as we mentioned Swindon come down it's it's coming up in in the fixture list the first game since 2002 they've got a rather interesting manager Paolo Di Canio just before the first game started to stir things up a little bit. Do you, do you remember what he said? Yeah, remember? I remember. Yeah, I was, I was a Swindon fan and someone that knew me knew that I wanted to come and all this sort of stuff, which I say for a player is just odd to hear because people who know me know that obviously I'm, I follow Tottenham. but Which in some ways worse. Yeah, uh, you know. It, 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 at, the current, at the current time, it probably is. But I think they knew like who I supported. There's obviously pictures of me in Tottenham kit at eight, ten years old. So it just seemed strange to come out at that time. And, and like I say, I think looking back, it probably added that little bit of, I think, Again, we, we talk about the game, but that, that sort of celebration showed that bit of press that he thought was probably trying to be a little bit clever and sort of getting people's heads and, and make a difference. Obviously, them sort of breaking into the ground and burning STFC in our, in our pitch, all those little things actually just added to that sort of desire, that passion we had to, to go there and really get the win that, that we were desperate to do. Are you kind of chomping at the bit to get out there or are you just trying to play it down? Yeah, I think for me, I, it was always a case to try and sort of like calm myself, say if it was Barrow, if it was Exeter, anybody. I was excited, I was ready to go. But I think all of it combined just meant that we went there, obviously driving up to the ground and just seeing the sort of Oxford fans being marched well, yeah, the, the, the down the magic roundabout. Yeah. There's yeah. over a hundred police, there's people mm. on horses and things to keep things in order. It must have felt as close to like a big royal event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange wow, it, it yeah. literally felt like the, the open top parade there was just yellow everywhere we were just driving through and it, it just reminded me of being on the bus and just seeing Oxford fans that you'd sort of either side it literally we were driving through and there was just police and then Oxford fans just streaming in obviously it was 11 12,000 I think inside the ground but it literally felt like almost for us like a home game it was like strange like their fans made a lot of noise but for us like just to see a yellow and it was an unbelievable feeling but yeah to get in and as soon as we got in the ground we say warmed up we were just desperate to get going we, we've been reminded plenty of times 
I think, 38 years since they had won at the county ground. And we kept reading it in the press how much this meant. And yeah. we knew anyway. But yeah, yeah. Obviously, when, when you start putting sort of dates into there and how many years it had been, and I think for us, we, we took that responsibility and we knew what, what it meant to go there. And we were looking forward to getting there and getting it on. And you did, in a big way. Scored both goals. Mm-hmm. And the celebration, just talk us through the release. We said it, like, you work, like, something we worked on over and over. Like, this corner, Pete Eleven, obviously one of the best players I've played with for deliveries. Put it on exactly where you need it. I think a block from Jake or and, and just give me that room to get a header. So we must have practiced the same routine 50, 100 times and like n- never come off or some someone's broke free and headed it or cleared it. Literally, you could, when you watch it back, it you couldn't have got more perfect. My my marker was blocked completely, free header, right where I needed it. Header obviously didn't score a huge amount of headers. So nice to score that. And then like obviously that sort of feeling of relief, like obviously we were winning, which was amazing. But obviously then we weren't stopped from tweeting or messaging or but for me, I was told not to sort of aggravate and say anything <laughs> well, yeah, no, it was gonna... if we talk about personal battles not yeah. only do you win the game but Paolo Canio gets sent to the stands mm. for dissent it must really feel like a bit of a personal in that yeah and... they equalised I think Matt Ritchie equalised on the day and, and I felt again we were a bit under the cosh towards sort of end of the end of the first half and then luckily got, got another free kick and I think Lev's put in another great ball and I'm claiming it but the keeper sort of just punched it straight off me and in so I didn't really know too much about it but yeah to see it sort of go in and, and sort of go in at half time leading 2-1 was I remember just a noise at half time and then second half we were right up against it and like say almost the sending off of him made a, a sort of difference it was like that that sort of distraction that person that was there that was calling the referee over like sort of having a go at their players and just sort of making it into a bit more of a sort of pantomime almost it, that that was gone and obviously he was taken away and we, we sort of rode our luck a little bit but actually I think sort of on the the course of the 90 minutes, it was probably the, the result we deserved. First away win in 17 ties since 73. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I remember wow. chatting to Nathan, like Nathan, obviously, that I think they were covering it for BBC Oxford and just, yeah, just sort of came onto the pitch and it was like a scene from sort of like a, a cup final or something. It was the, the fans, the noise. You could barely hear the interview I was doing. I was thinking, like, I couldn't hear what he was saying. He was sort of, I was just trying to lip read what, what he was actually saying because the noise was just unbelievable. And the, and the Obviously now the pictures are sort of iconic there. You see them everywhere. And the, I think the celebration of me, I'm, I think I'm hugging Wingy. And then you just see the sea yellow in the background is just, yeah, for us, it was a, an amazing feeling. And really probably at that point we thought, not untouchable, but I think we thought, right, that's a big statement. It's early in the season that mm. we can actually like compete with one of the, the bigger teams that were fancied at that time, that, that we could go and beat them. So we were sort of confident that we would have a, a, a decent season. Swindon don't really go away this season. We get to, to January. Speculation is rife. Yeah. What's going on? A lot. Again, for a player like you, did, obviously being linked with certain teams and stuff, and and like say, I'm I'm just so focused on on what I'm doing, mm. and like say, try not to let it affect too much of what you're doing. I think when I was at Chippenham and stuff, when I was younger, you'd hear so and so's watching or that, and and it's so hard not to start like wearing your socks differently or like wearing different shorts or trying <laughs> to like literally make yourself stand out or look. Really, you, is it? You would literally time, do wow. things differently. Like I remember Dad saying to me one game, like you, you didn't shut up. You were like trying to talk to everyone. You're trying to talk them through the game, like you don't. Why are you doing that? And it was like, oh, someone was there. So you're trying to wow. make yourself sound like yeah, yeah. more of a leader or. And he was like, actually, you're taking away from your game. Like, you're, you're worried about everything else. Just focus on what you do and don't change. And, and I think, yeah, even as you get older, you still, there's still aspects of that. If you're trying to sort of stand out and try and make yourself look different or th- th- catch an eye. But yeah, I think for me, it was just that season was just a crazy season with what had gone on earlier in the season. Obviously, Swindon and all the rumours constantly that were floating around about clubs that were, were interested or that wanted to take me. One club, quite surprisingly, that wanted to take you was Swindon. There was incredible Sky Sports news report stories 
saying that you wanted to speak to Swindon. We should add that at this point in history, only two players have ever made that switch from Oxford to Swindon. And the last one was quite a long time ago. So. <laughs> Even from the outset, I, th I think the first sort of couple of bids had, had been rejected from the club. I hadn't been included. Obviously, it's up to the club to to accept or reject bids anyway but obviously the third one came in and I'd only just got to training and Chris just pulled me aside and said look we've accepted a bid and I remember just sort of like literally like someone had just punched me in the stomach I just didn't know what to do didn't know what to feel it sounds crazy but I didn't even know how it was. does that mean I've got to go or like I literally I couldn't sort of in my brain you couldn't, didn't on, know if you could fight your corner yeah, and go I, I don't want to go I want to save it was a strange time and I remember sort of coming out of the meeting and like say I'd spoke with Chris and I'd said look obviously I don't want to go it's it's not something that I've sort of entertained and I think even then I'm, I'm made him aware that this is going to sort of end badly for both of us for me personally because yeah fans are going to hate me thinking i'm going well there you... are these stories circulating you're a swindon fan yeah. and yeah. there are still things online people going oh is constable a swindon yeah. fan yeah and I, obviously for the club as well i thought for the fan base and what they're going to see and think well there's been chance for him to go to bournemouth or rovers or Luton and all these clubs that you've said no all of a sudden you've said yes yeah, to swindon like of all people obviously then later down the line you find out it was a substantial amount of money and i, I sort of understand that side but i think it was hard to take because i'd said look it's not going to happen it's it's not something that, that i would even consider so i said like what, what do you want me to do like am i to stay and they were like look you can't stay there's press heading here there's everything going to be happening so you just need to go and i say go home speak to your dad and wow so i literally just jumped in the, the, the smart car i must add it wasn't exactly the quickest vehicle to get home in, but i sort of jumped in the smart car and yeah spoke to dad and said what had happened and he was like look just get home lock the doors like obviously just put your phone on silent whatever you need to do but just obviously it, it was already starting messages were coming in like people from obviously swindon radio stations oxford people wanted to speak to me on twitter was going crazy the abuse like but was anyone listening to you fans? well i said for, for, obviously they had made their, their minds up like they had read the rumors they had seen the, the sort of the, the headline that club accepted bid so i think for them it was probably a case of they just assumed i was going like they were like well why would the club accept it if the player didn't want to go or you just wow. assume that that was what he wanted and, and that's what was going to happen. So I'd obviously spoke to Chris and Calvin on the way back and said, look, obviously it's not happening. I'm not going to speak to him. I'm, I'm literally going home. And they were like, yeah, that's fine. Just obviously go home. Just I remember deep down, I was angry because I was missing training, which even now is just like <laughs> such a stupid. But yeah, yeah. we hadn't even got a chance to train. I was in my kit. I was ready to go, but obviously sent home. So I was like thinking, well, I love training. I love being around the lads. I love being at the training ground. And I've chatted with Chris since and we've sort of cleared the air. But at the time, I was made to feel that that was my career finished if I wasn't either going to go or like there, there was going to be opportunities wow. for, for other players to come in. So actually, if, if I stayed, it, that's fine. But my, my time might be up anyway in terms of playing. And, and still to be captain, to be told that was pretty hard to take. But well, we think of looking at a player being sent home. Mm. There's only one way it looks from a fan's point mm. of view. Yeah. That just fuels the story even more. And you yeah. say about personally, it almost like you done something wrong in all of that. Yeah, it, it definitely did feel like that. Like I say, I remember driving home thinking, well, I was sort of still reliving that conversation that my time at the club was going to be limited if I wasn't to go. And I remember even Chris sort of saying about the amounts of money I could be earning and like they might offer you this much a week. And I was like, yeah, but make any difference. Like as I was, I was captain, I was... Yeah. Say the club had given me a lot. I I had obviously delivered when I've played, but also they gave me the opportunity. They looked after me. The fans obviously had, had taken me to their hearts. Like it was tough to hear that coming from the manager that, like I say, had been my biggest fan. Who overnight almost that we we were in that sort of situation that that relationship had really sort of soured, and, and I felt like I was not being forced out because ultimately I had time on my contract. But our relationship was was changing because it wasn't like it used to be. Like someone that I thought was there to sort of protect me and, and guide me, then was saying that like, actually if you don't go, I can't promise you're going to be first choice 
forwards or you're going to be captain or whatever going forward. So it was tough to take. Chris was managing the game yeah. where you beat Swindon. He saw your celebration. Yeah. He's not an idiot. He knows exactly what that would mm. mean for the club, for you as well. Purely at that level, the Oxford United are, is it because the money was there and it was right and it was such a difference that it meant that everything else was irrelevant? Yeah, I think at the time it's just too much. But now looking back and hearing about Wembley and like obviously if that hadn't happened, what the win meant for the club, 300,000 seems like a hell of a lot of money for the club. Mm. So but I've never really got to the bottom of why or the sort of reasons behind it or why it got to that stage. But that's all I can see as a reason why it doesn't make sense from a footballing point of view to sell your captain, your sort of leading scorer. I remember Laura coming back from work and I was in the bath and she, she expected to sort of walk in and just find me sort of just rocking back and forth <laughs> in a room. I'm, I'm just like in the bath. And I remember just having my phone just desperate to just tweet. Like literally I'd spoke to Chris four or five times, spoke to Kelvin and I was like, look, I just, I need to put something out. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. Set it's the record straight. People are saying, I hope you die. I hope you get cancer. I hope you, your wife died. Like literally things that you wouldn't imagine. And these were people that were cheering my name 24 hours earlier in uh, games and literally just imagining that that's, it's almost happened. Like that in their heads, I've already signed off, done and dusted. So wow. it was tough. And I, I, I'd like to say, all I wanted to do was just to let people know that it's not happening. Calm it down. Like I say, I was getting messages from people that I grew up with that are Swindon fans saying like, we would rather you didn't come like because you're links to Oxford. <laughs> and then like you get other friends that would be like, look, if you come, this is going to be great. Like, you're damned tickets. if you do, you're damned yeah. if you yeah. don't. Yeah. So you're literally stuck. But again, it, it was just for me, I was just desperate to be able to sort of let these people know that chill. Like, I ain't going anywhere ahead. Like as far as I'm concerned, I'm staying. I've got 18 months or whatever left on my contract or whatever it was. It, it never even crossed my mind that, that I'd be moving. And like I say, I'd turn down opportunities for, for sort of bigger clubs, more money. Like I wouldn't then just take a deal A with them. But I know from what Chris said, it could have been a substantial amount of money for a wage. But again, it wasn't something I was considering even for that. Where and when does loyalty play in all of this? My loyalty was with them, like 100%. I never wanted to leave at any point during my time there. So obviously to then hear them accepting bids and like I say that they accepted bids from Bournemouth, they accepted bids from Rovers, but this was different. You're accepting a bid from a club that for me was just a no-go anyway. So obviously there was loads of stuff that come after, but at the time it was like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? Like, I'd, literally my heart was just going 100 mile an hour, trying to sort of get around in my head as to if I said no and I was happy to come back, what would that look like? Mm. Was I going to play? I still didn't understand how that dynamic work you said you spoke to chris quite a lot yeah did the relationship sour because maybe you felt like you weren't getting through to him and yeah. did you think that that relationship was untenable like you say i couldn't understand how we'd gone from like one place to like <laughs> I, I remember just sort of coming off and every time i'd be taken off a sub whether i'd missed a sitter or whatever i'd get hugged like that was almost a dad hug to a son like from that to then you might not play or if you don't leave now you might leave at the end of the season or even like I say even to this day i've asked the question in my head so many times how it could have gone from that over something we're not talking like 20 million we're talking like 300 grand like i'm sure there could have been a way of raising that amount of, of mm. funds without needing to basically like at, at 26 27 that was sort of where's all that last three years of what we would built as a club as a group as a, as a staff and a player like that felt like literally that had just been sort of ripped up and, and chucked away in, in the blink of an eye really the deal ultimately fell through in terms of the club, did they feel like, oh, we've lost out on a ton of money here? I can't remember exactly when I tweeted. I don't know the exact time, but I'd obviously spoke to Calvin and Chris prior to that tweet. And it was like, what we're going to do is we're going to reject the offer now. And then that's sort of that. And then we'll just see you tomorrow and we'll just crack on. Well, I can tell you what the tweet says. I've got it right here. It says, <laughs> to clear up the rumours, I have never asked to speak to Swindon. So don't know where that has come from. No truth whatsoever. It's pretty emphatic. It is, and then like I say, it was, I think it was probably something I'd, I'd written 20, 30 times over and changed bits and 
I wanted to say what I wanted to say, but obviously at that point, I was still told I wasn't allowed to tweet, I wasn't allowed to message, but it got to a point where I was just like, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sitting here and getting abuse, getting all these messages, I'm, I'm going to save my peace. Like, I, I think I got to a point where actually I didn't really worry about repercussions of it. I thought like, you know what, like this isn't on, like, I'm not sitting here and getting the abuse I was getting. So yeah, just something I'd, I'd done previously, picked up the phone and just, just, just <laughs> tweeted a message around thought I'd deal with the consequences and, and, and just but I just needed to let people know that that was the case and like I say it wasn't long after that we spoke and it was yeah we're going to reject the offer now and we're going to sort of say look we'll, we'll see you tomorrow and we'll crack on and I remember just sitting there just thinking how, how how does that go like how do we just go from what we've just been sort of through and what we spoke about to just coming back in obviously the lads it was funny like they come in and said like oh like didn't expect to see you here like oh, what you like some of them were like yeah you, you're mad like the money you could have earned I think people struggled to understand what that sort of meant financially that I'd said no and but for me it's never been about money throughout my whole career it's never ever been about money and I remember at the time even with the Bournemouths and the Rovers we're not talking money that you can retire we're not talking Premier League money so if I had left to go to Bournemouth I would have thrown away three years of work and like say great relationships to go and earn 100, 200 quid a week more but then you still have to work you've lost all your legacy of what you've done so it was always more about that and what the club had done for me and what I could do for them I thought going forward so it might have been more money but it wasn't something that was going to change my sort of feelings and my, my passion for being where I was. Did you feel that there was a breakdown of trust? Yeah, I think definitely coming back, it was literally a case of, I felt almost like nervous coming back in because mm. I didn't know. Like I say, the last conversation we had had was we've decided to reject that offer now. You come back and we'd just go as normal. And I think it was like a sort of Thursday or Friday. I was coming back in ready to prepare for a weekend and it was just like, it just seemed strange to be coming back. In fact, like almost like I had gone and spoke to someone or I'd done something that then like I've got to come back and sort of be like the person that's like, oh, it didn't quite work out. But for me, I never wanted to go. I never wanted to, to leave the club, but I was obviously made to go. And I remember, them then sort of I think they said like oh we didn't want him anyway or do you know what I mean all these things that sort of so came it's out. like the playground yeah. isn't it it's just like, oh no well we I never said that no yeah. no no and like say that I, I came back and I'd, I'd never throughout my career sort of made it about like them or like, I just thought right well as he said like we just crack on and I didn't know what to expect in terms of relationship but I thought well I've still got my contract I've still got the chance to go and play games score goals and and that was sort of my mentality really was to come in and, and sort of knuckle down looming their head <laughs> once again yeah. it's uh is the return me mm-hmm. of Swindon yeah here we are once again it was March that the game was yeah in. so where are you it's been it's been a couple of months now since all of this has happened mm-hmm. is it water under the bridge are you being treated differently yeah obviously it's settled down in terms of paper stuff had gone away and we could focus and I, I, was, I was playing I was still being picked but I, I still felt that there was a sort of an undercurrent I'd be walking down a corridor and I'd be with like four or five players and they would all be welcomed like morning so and so morning and then just nothing. And I'd be like waiting for like, all right, but you know, like nothing. It'd just walk straight past. And then from a few months you've gone captain, we've seen the pictures of you mm. like lifting the trophy at Wembley. Yeah. To be in sort of just blanked. And like I say, it wasn't Mickey and Mel and that they, it was just like almost a Chris. Obviously he was picking me, I was being put on the team sheet, mm. but there wouldn't be that same laughing, joking, like a training, like meetings before. It was a strange time, especially like say we'd be in like the change rooms or in the referees room with Chris and me and their managers, their staff, but not have that same sort of relationship was tough to sort of get your head around I had loved every minute of having that relationship to then sort of like not having it is strange it was only probably two or three years maybe even longer after I left people would start saying oh what was that like and I'd be like well we didn't really get on for like the last two years yeah. which I think people find strange to sort of like say get the head around but that, that relationship was gone we didn't speak in the same way we didn't have that same sort of feeling probably him towards me for not going and, and making him maybe look lesser of a man yeah. like by rejecting it so I, I sort of see it from that side but I think it could have been handled probably a lot easier and a lot better from the outset. 
I guess you're fired up. I guess you're angry when this fixture comes mm. around. There's still the fierce rivalry, but you've got all this politics that is added on top as yeah. to what's happened. It felt like the first Swindon game, it was still Swindon. We still wanted to beat them. But obviously, on the other hand, it was like, it was still fresh enough that I didn't really know where my future let. Like, obviously, I was hoping it was going to be there. Mm. But even now, like every game, I felt like I was sort of somehow on trial again to try and stay there. I, I didn't know how long that could last. Like, it was out of my control. Like, obviously, it was he was a manager I was a player and I think even like now looking back there was games during that season the season after where I was being left out and I thought it was unfair I felt I shouldn't have been left out but it was just whatever reason I wasn't being seen as the same person and 27-28 I felt like I was I'd learned a lot of the game clever tricks or pace had gone but actually like I, I there's bits that I'd learned through that time so I felt like I was coming into a good stage of my career. Well, not, you're prime. Not, yeah, not really. really going the other way, but I, I was sort of made to feel that I couldn't play two in a week or... And I'm thinking, like, I'm fit, like, I'm ready to go. You're like, not I even hit 28 yet. No. Yeah. So for me, it was, again, sort of strange. And then obviously subsequently it sort of panned out and left at the club at sort of 29. But still for me, that was like, for me, I was fit and there was no issue. Like I wasn't failing medicals or, or, or anything like that. It was just made to feel that maybe I, was, I wasn't the same player I was when I joined the club. So come to the, the day of the Swindon game. We know you're fired up. Everything that's been going on. If that wasn't enough, there's off the pitch too. It's Swindon at the top of the league. They've won 10 games on the trot. 11 will be record-breaking for them. So, of course, that brings the Oxford game. You haven't done the double over them since 1973. It's, there's a lot riding on this. Yeah, And you get a red card. Was that inevitable? I think going into the game, there was all, like, I think we, we had spoke about it. Like, we were saying, look, we knew, like, Richie, and we, we knew certain players that could potentially potentially fly into a tackle or we were told like if we can step on toes at corners like cause a reaction do you know what I mean just be clever get get them mm. in a position where they might lash out or do something silly and get sent off so we believe we were good enough to win the game anyway but we thought look being at home we thought we might have a bit of added impetus more fans like there might be a way of, of getting them sort of riled up so like I say that was our plan sort of unsettle them obviously their plan was probably the same and then yeah 10 minutes in jump for a, to win a ball sent off I remember sort of feeling like their players were being like overly nice like sort of like patting me on the head and trying to sort of usher me off the pitch and just like when I look back now how I sort of managed to get off the pitch without sort of lumping one of them because it was it literally is like that sort of like pat on the back come on mate off you go um, but yeah just remember just feeling like overwhelmingly like I let people down obviously the fans like, I could just hear that intake of breath that like oh my god like down to 10 men after 10 minutes just walking off the pitch and obviously seeing them all, all sort of clapping me but knew deep down that actually being sent off was going to make it tough for the next 80 minutes with 10 men was going to be um, big ass but yeah went into the change room sat down and I hadn't been in there more than 5-10 minutes I think I was kicking things around and smashing bottles around and then yeah heard a cheer and I instantly thought they'd had someone sent off I thought oh it's like it's one of those games it's, it's 10 all but no like I say I think Ace had scored and I managed to quickly sort of jump in the shower get changing my track so you get upstairs to the press because you weren't allowed back anywhere near the pitch you weren't no. allowed in the state no. like in the stand you literally had to be I think back then they wanted you to stay in the change room but like I say I managed to make my way up to the press box and obviously stood in there saw the remainder of the game obviously Ollie Johnson I think scoring the second and just for me just relief that like we had managed to well the lads produce a, a performance that like 10 wins on the bounce like a team that were fighting for promotion down a 10 man, men after 10 minutes is, is unbelievable to, to produce that. It's amazing that given everything we've said about treatment you had mm. after the Swindon transfer speculation mm. and how you were feeling that your first thought after all that is not woe is me. Mm. It's, yeah. it's about the team and I've got to go and watch what's going on. The team are back in this because you thought yeah. it's a red car or whatever. Your thoughts are still with those 10 guys you share the pitch with rather than yourself. It's Yeah, well I think any, any player, once you're in that 
environment you're sort of with these like i say you spend these more time with these guys than you do your family you miss it like it is like a sort of brotherhood of like seeing them like out there i was just thinking that i've been in that situation where say jake's been sent off or christ has been sent off and, and you're sort of up against it and it's i think as a player sometimes it's quite like you've, you you like that responsibility you're like right let's get together like mm. tuck in like let's make it difficult and well, people it, say it's, it's all a siege. Siege mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Thing is like it's harder to play against 10 men it sometimes. It always is. But actually, it's quite, sounds like crazy, but it's quite enjoyable to be like in and sort of in the trenches and fighting it. And like I say, I was just watching it thinking like, I hope they're getting that feeling and they're, they're enjoying <laughs> this nonstop sort of bombardment but actually like say to get over the line and be in the change room in the end it was a strange one because I didn't didn't get involved in the celebrations didn't like feel well, you're not even wearing your kit at this well, point yeah I didn't feel part of it it's mm. like strange like literally I'd played 10 minutes we were nil nil at that point I hadn't it's not like I'd scored and been sent off in the 90th minute it was like literally I'd been there 10 minutes I hadn't I'd sort of caused these guys so I remember just sort of sitting out the way I wanted them to enjoy it like they've they've done this they've achieved this nothing to do with me and like come out and I saw fans that wanted to hug me and like and I was just like I just didn't want to be part of it I just wanted to literally just get home cut myself off from like i i hadn't achieved that with them that, that that was them that achieved it and obviously in the back of my mind i was thinking well this is going to be three games like epl stuff but everyone knows that you, you sort of stab in the dark you're never going to win against certain appeals so it was one of those i thought right for the next three games now i'm going to miss out and i'm not going to be part of that and sort of enjoy the the, the atmosphere that that brings the training the next week's going to be on a high because of what's happened and it's for me it's like yeah you've got to sort of get get by now and know you're going to be running after training because you're not going to be playing for the next few weeks is uh, not enjoyable. You didn't feel part of the celebration. You felt like you let the team down. Mm -hmm. But also a bizarre situation happened afterwards. Yeah, a letter just got sort of popped on my on my seat at the training ground and just sort of like strange to be getting in at say after a game and, and, and have sort of notes so yeah just opened it and it was a letter from the club didn't say like address from anybody as such it just said from like obviously Oxford United and stated that, that I'm going to be sort of fined two weeks wages because of my sending off um, against Swindon there wasn't there was no option to sort of appeal it or anything like that and I remember sort of taking it to Chris and our, our relationship wasn't fantastic in, in terms of off the pitch like when I was when I was playing he could tell me instructions and he'd shout on and but away from that it was not really existent and then I remember sort of taking that to him saying like is this joke like two weeks wages for getting sent off like yeah. I'd been sent off against crew and I'd been booked in, in loads of games where sometimes they would they I think they made a thing one season where you'd have to pay the admin fee so if you're mm. not booked and then you might be fined sort of 25 quid if it's descent and things like that but to be fined two weeks wages I said like that's like reserved for like the most extreme things that can happen for a player like you, you can you actually said uh, and and I didn't know this uh, about football yeah. at all but that's it that's actually the most severe punishment Maximum, yeah. that a club can enforce on a player yeah. within their contract is yeah. finding them two weeks wages yeah. for whatever they have done or done. Yeah. I think Tevez, when he went sort of AWOL and, yeah. and didn't return for training and things, that he was fined two weeks wages out of a month's month. That's the maximum. And that look was at all these things. Zuma, yeah. Ronaldo, this, that's to name a few names. Yeah. It's like, and the same punishment. Is. Yeah, for sending off, which again, I was adamant that I didn't mean that I didn't cause anything that... I say he jumped back up and I was at Eastleigh and we played I think Bromley and he was playing that game and, and I sort of said like you're I recognised him straight away and said like you're the guy that got me sent off and, and they, they were again saying that's something they had worked on and they were they saw that as, a, as a probably a key point in the game if, if they could get me out of the way that they were hoping that that would mean that they had gone and win which ultimately backfired but I think that was the plan was was to get me sent off so to hear that then sort of years down the line almost made me more angry that, that, that I had fallen <laughs> for that trap like that obviously teams will always try and get players sent off but especially for them to to do it and like say it work and but like say the, the only sort of solace really you take in it is that it didn't work we went on and beat them and, and ruined their sort of their party and their celebrations 
you've still been the top scorer for the last three seasons. This is, you know, in the second season back in league yeah. football, the fans are still cheering your name, still club legend. Mm. And this is all happening on outside and around you. Yeah. Are you feeling like you're not getting enough back from the club that you're putting in? Yeah, I think it definitely sort of heaped on that sort of feeling of a little bit of sort of, I'm being picked on it here. Like I think two weeks' wages. Like I say, I'd, I'd been there three years, four years by this point, and, and I can't remember anybody getting a, a two-week wage fine. So yeah, I think for me, it was definitely something that I, I felt was was unfair. And, and even when I sort of brought it up with Chris, and, and it was made to feel like, look, we need to send a message to the club, like and, and the fans to know that you've admitted, like that you've let everyone down. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't feel like I did anything. So well, I, the, I didn't. The think red I card had... itself, I've watched yeah. it. The reaction you give to the ref is yeah. a lot more scary. Yeah, exactly. Because I just couldn't believe that. I'd been sent off, but from from his point of view, he was saying that we need to send a message to say that you've let him down. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't equate to a two weeks wait. No. And then, like I say, the the money is I'd have rather it been given to charity or something. But the fact that it was being taken just for the club to have two weeks mm. wages just to to sort of show something, which did, didn't really make any sense. But like I say, it was it sort of probably soured and already sort of turbulent time between me and Chris. It just seems unbelievable given the year before you say Mm. about the contract not being right, not getting paid the right amount and you didn't cause a fuss about it. Two ends of the spectrum, two opposite, completely extreme opposite ends of the spectrum. But I think as well, I've spent... I spoke to Laura like quite a bit recently because we've been doing the podcast and we it's brought up lots of sort of... Because she lives through things that like probably I don't maybe question at the time or... But like we... If we lost on a Saturday, I, I wouldn't speak to her. Literally, we'd drive home in the car. I'd be looking out the window. She'd be looking, and, and I'd get home. I wouldn't eat. She'd have takeaway or whatever. Like I wouldn't. It was almost like starving yourself because of the disappointment of not winning. So we we spoke about sort of different things, and and like say you realise things that obviously they've gone through. But I think at the time it was just it felt like it was just another a step of that relationship sort of coming apart. And I say at the time it was didn't sort of think too much, but actually it, it ultimately sort of didn't really get any better from that. Mm-hmm. That things could have been sort of handled differently or, or, or not reacted in the way they did but actually then caused this this rift to be sort of greater really no it's been yet another uh, what, what's been interesting is is it's a yet another season where so much has gone on you know to sort of wrap up even now to this day you know you still have that feeling towards swindon and and similarly towards towards you as well because of this crazy year yeah i think like i say that that game transfer saga and then obviously that and then obviously that game especially but i remember after that game i had to drive back to bassett and i just sort of i remember sort of sloping down in my seat just pulling into the estate my next door neighbor was a swindon fan but they didn't it wasn't to the levels of abuse and they were mm. just like hope you lose today every time they saw me <laughs> sort of getting in the car going to you can take that one yeah you, you can tell i'm like yeah okay hope you lose and and it was it was fun, but actually to pull back in, I was thinking like obviously after the the swing and the home game, that was sort of bad enough. But obviously the, the away game with what what had gone on, and I was thinking, well, this could be sort of, sort of a bit of a sticky sort of uh, time. But yeah, I think even to that, it sort of raised that level of like I won't sort of go into Swindon. I won't like we have birthday parties and they want it like in like obviously my brothers and my grandma and family live sort of Wiltshire that way. But no, I won't sort of go in. I won't go shopping in Swindon I'd try and you said of... to me you'd go as far as Bristol <laughs> yeah, <when laughs> to we were, go past when, it when we, when we were living in Wooden Bassett yeah we'd literally drive sort of through Swindon out the other end and, and all the way to Bristol to, to go out for shopping or go for tea just because we just didn't didn't want to go into Swindon and not not for a fear of, of what I'd had it just I just that, that it given me that much sort of aggro and that much sort of 
pain over that, that, that year. It's literally tarnished it where I won't, like say I won't tend to go in there. I won't sort of drive through it. I'll try and sort of drive around <laughs> to, to get anywhere. It's, uh, it's strange. But yeah, the, the, the eldest was actually born in Swindon Hospital, which is, which is even stranger because uh, we were sort of forced to be there for that. And then, and then yeah, little, the second one was born in Salisbury. So it's nicer that we didn't, didn't have to have sort of two that were born there. But Should have been born but, in Swindon, but keep driving, yeah, keep yeah. driving. Hold, I said to Nora, hold on. Like, yeah, <laughs> but no, it's uh, yeah, it's strange how it, how it does. But I think ultimately that that sort of game and that feeling that, that they were desperate to to sort of do that and get me that sort of sending off or get get me in trouble was probably the sort of final thing that really put me off them completely. No, well, that's quite a nice sort of place to end. I think this podcast. Yeah. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, the next one we're going to be doing in Swindon. So we do it through Zoom. Brilliant stuff. Um, look, uh, a big thank you, uh, James Constable, for for sort of letting us know so many brilliant things that we we absolutely didn't know about um, for for this episode of the podcast. Also, a massive thank you to the part and parcel here in Whitney, where we are right now. The safety of Whitney. <laughs> um, big thanks for for, for for letting us uh, use the space in here. A big thank you to Statman Ted for pulling us up and keeping us on the straight and narrow. Uh, my name has been Rich Smith from Get Radio and a big thank you to them for powering this podcast through. We will return with another episode of the James Constable podcast and we're going to dive into a little bit more about captaincy and what that kind of means. So make sure you like, subscribe and share, tell your friends and we'll be back with uh, another episode of the James Constable podcast uh, on Tuesday. You've been listening to the James Constable podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and share. We're going to have a new episode drop every Tuesday and for the full length uncut version head over to YouTube just simply search for James Constable Podcast this has been powered by Get Radio Oxfordshire's local radio station head to getradio.co.uk for more updates and details